Hello and welcome to Plant Pals, my podcast where I talk to my pals about plants. I'm the host, Mike. My guest this week is Jason Fitzgibbon. He's a biological consultant out of the Orange County area and has done tons of dope stuff, has seen all sorts of cool plants, works with birds. That's right. I have a birder on again. And uh, also, I want people going forward to send me like questions on anything, really. You know, field work, questions about job stuff. I have a limited experience, but me and my guests can answer. And it'll be like a fun like listener mail thing. And you can send those to plantpalspodcast at gmail.com. Here we go. Jason Fitzgibbon. Um, I'm a wildlife ecologist slash botanist, I guess some would say, um, for half of my job based out of Southern California. Um, and I work for a, uh, a private consulting and um, basically a private consulting firm based out of uh, Orange County, California. Cool. When did you start doing that? I've been doing it now for about 12 years. Oh, wow. With a little a short hiatus in the middle there for a year and a half or so, um, but uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a pretty decent run. Um, worked a couple jobs before that that kind of uh, showed me how miserable the office job life <laughs> can be. Um, spun me in the right direction towards um, you know higher education and eventually to towards this job. So uh, yeah, been been happy and at it for the last twelve years. What were you doing for office jobs, if you can say? Uh, yeah, yeah, my undergrad degree um, was in was in organismal biology, um, and so, I mean, basically, other than teaching, um, which I quickly decided I didn't want to do um, during the credential process, um, it's a brutal career. Um, I, I feel for teachers and feel like they they're very under under respected in our in our oh, culture yeah. and community. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, after I decided teaching wasn't for me, um, you know biology careers, biology related careers aren't really the most obvious to fall into. So, um, I grabbed a, a job as a, uh, chemist, a biochemist at a nanotechnology startup. And did that for a couple of Real years. Real casual. Yeah. I just grabbed a little job being a biochemist for a minute yeah. there. I mean, who you know and, and where you are at the right time, you know, that's kind of how I fell into that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was cool. It was exciting for about six months and then the excitement wore off and working in a windowless lab with lab coats, breathing in noxious stuff. And, you know, you, you get over that pretty quick if you're an outdoorsy type of person. So, um, I quickly started on the track back to school and then started my grad program, uh, while I was working at that job concurrently. Uh, and that's kind of how I met the people that hired me where I'm at now and, um, started this job. So just kind of gotten lucky a couple times and, um, yeah, I haven't had to move positions or jobs since I started here. Oh, so that sounds yeah. amazing. <laughs> Enjoy it. Good people and decent work and yeah, fun and always learning. So yeah, keeps keeps me stoked on the on the job. What kind of stuff do you work on? Um, you know, predominantly when I started, my main areas of interest were were birds and fish, and uh, my actual my graduate studies are on endangered songbird, at least Bell's vireo. Um, which occupies riparian habitats in Southern California. Uh, and so 
with my focus on birds, it's kind of how I got my shoe and my foot in the door um, with the company I'm at now. Um, but as a consultant, you don't really get to stay too specialized for too long. Um, it's not long before you're just wearing all sorts of hats that you're uncomfortable wearing for a while as a newbie. Um, but I mean, I think on my first week on the job, I did, you know, two lease bells, vario surveys. I kicked those off in a March and then, um, instantly I was out collecting. I think the end of that week I was collecting, uh, many stem dudley a seed, um, or topsoil, I should say at a site for where we had a remnant population, hoping that we could restore, um, and mitigate for impacts to those species in another area later on. So I was, you know, I was harvesting soil and looking on maps or plants I didn't even know the names of and, um, you know, stuff like that. And, and I just secondarily became very interested in plants. And then, you know, ever since that first year, um, I worked under a former CNPS, um, local chapter president who's very well known in the plant community down here. Um, and he kind of mentored me not only with birds, cause he's very knowledgeable in, in that area as well, but with all the local plants and kind of got me under his wing doing work for um, the city of Laguna beach nearby to me. Um, and I've been doing a lot of their rare plant monitoring and mapping, um, you know, since then. So about 12 years now. Awesome. Um, yeah. And I love it. Yeah. It's a great, it's very different to wildlife work. Um, you know, just eyes on the ground, crawling around belly botany type stuff instead of eyes up in the trees and gives my neck a break. It's like, it's anatomically, you know, <laughs> I was always wondering what the birder to plant person pipeline is. And if it's just neck strain, that makes complete sense. Totally. Yeah. It's like one's extension, one's flexion. So yeah. you get to look up and then you get to look down and if you alternate days enough, then your neck never hurts. You know, so <laughs> what's it? Um, yeah. the singer from cannibal corpse corpse grinder. You ever see a picture of him? His neck just goes from his ears to his shoulders. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even know. That that guy must be like doing bear bear research or something like that. Yeah, right. Dude's just like plowing into burrows and super stable deltoids. And (laughs) (laughs) Um, what is your okay? All right. So I want to preface this with like Laguna Beach. As I was a kid in Massachusetts, Laguna Beach was like a fake place. And then I found myself there like on a hike and it's awesome. You know, it's like, it's crazy because it's, it's, you know, whatever park that is, is just surrounded by like what you think Orange County actually is. But then you just have like these giant slabs of like untouched habitat. Um, What are your, what are some of your favorite rare plants from down there? Uh, You know, man, I have so many. Um, Or even not rare plants. I got to give love to Artemisias too. Yeah, you know, yeah, the, the Artemisias. Um, I mean, everybody loves loves themselves some coastal sage scrub. Um, but yeah, I mean, around here, one of my favorites that I, I map extensively and monitor every year, particularly in good years like we have going on right now, um, is big leaf crown beard, Berbicina dissida, and that's you know it's basically endemic to Laguna Beach within the United States. It also occurs in, in Baja. Um, but we only have it in the Southern half of Laguna beach here in California in a very, very small area. Um, and I, I love that it's, it's very easily to confuse, um, at a distance within Salia, Californica, um, just the bloom and the leafs and, uh, everything, the, the growth pattern of it and things like that. So 
teasing it out and non-blooming times a year were, uh, you know, were like a very fun puzzle for me when I started. Um, and through that process, I kind of became very like enraptured by that species. Um, so that's, that's one of my favorites locally. Uh, we also have the Laguna, Laguna Beach Dudleya, Dudleya stolonifera. Oh yeah. I never saw that. So, yeah. So that's endemic to only here, only place that occurs in the world. And we have, you know, just a handful of populations that we monitor every year. Um, I've been hoping to, to, to uncover a new one, but I have not been able to as of yet. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a killer one. Um, and then all the calicoris, I've just, yeah, calicoris is probably my favorite across the board. Um, you know, we have the uh, intermediate mariposa lily here, which we do a lot of mapping for, because that's a CNPS1B2, I believe. And, um, you know, so we will document that every year, do counts, um, map, the, map the extent of, you know, lo new locations and things like that. Um, and that one, I don't know. It just always seems just like the, the jewel of the scrub, you know, just like sticking out above Artemisia or Buckwheat or something like that and just waving in the wind. And when you get a good year and you, you stumble across like a big old bloom of them, it's just, I don't know, it's always exciting. And those are, that's actually that love of Calicordis for me is kind of like spilled out all over the West. So everywhere I go, I'm always looking for new and fresh species to, to find and rare common whatever i'm always i'm always pretty psyched on them i think that was the first place Beautiful i saw question. either that or weedy eye was in yeah the weedy laguna eye. hills mm -hmm. there i was like like it's just because you know it's one of those things where i have this weird not curse but like fun thing where i will look for a species to no avail for months on years and then once i see it there's like 1500 in a day and i'm just like by the end of the day you're like yeah i've seen that already you know it's like it doesn't show oh, up yeah. until it does and then it's everywhere totally and i think there's just something that happens and that was another thing that made just botany appeal to me too is it's so similar to you know other aspects of my life that i i do for recreation and for work like you know finding a rare species of fish or a bird and you search forever and when you finally do find it, you've had, you've worked through this whole process, you've been studying images, you've been listening to sounds, you've been studying habitat, searching through habitat almost endlessly. And when you finally see it, there's just something that like triggers in your brain, like some sort of search engine process yeah. or recognition ability. And then all of a sudden it's like, they're like, they're all over the place, you know, and you just know how to pinpoint the areas where you're most likely to find them. And then you just become this kind of like, it's almost robotic how you can go like oh discern that this you know this slope faces this way it's got this kind of soil type this rocky outcropping whatever amount of shading host plant species whatever and you just know where to zone in and like really optimize your ability to find this species or whatever and um you know that to me that process and like winning at the end like that you know <laughs> just finding it and then and it's just so rewarding and uh you know that's it's like hunting for plants, you know, nothing has to die. <laughs> nothing has to die, which is awesome. You know, so that, that to me was, um, you know, a huge kind of like, uh, that drew me into plants initially was that whole like hunting and finding. And yeah. Learning and they sit in one very place. Appealing. Yeah, exactly. You're always on the move. Yeah. You don't, you don't just sit and stand or sit and look. Yeah. You're, you're moving around hunting and that's, 
that's super cool to me. And there's always the, the chance of finding something new that you've never seen or that you didn't even know you were looking for. Yeah. And, um, yeah that's, that's always super exciting. The byproducts, I'm always stuck to byproducts. But, like, I, you know, I'm so laser focused on finding this one paintbrush. And then all of a sudden I find it and there's like, oh, I haven't seen this before. What is that? Like, you know, and almost like oh, yeah. by the time you find it, you've almost forgotten about it because you're just like, wait, what else is going on? Like, especially if it's like a crazy microhabitat. Like, in, the Bay Area, there's Ring Mountain, which is this serpentine hill that, for mm-hmm. some reason, I'm sure it's partially because the rest of the Bay has been developed to a degree, but, like, it just has all these weird endemics on it. And, like, by the time you find one, you find the other, and then you find a third, and you're just, like, completely enraptured with the whole spot. It's so much fun. Oh, yeah. That was my, my first, like, exposure to the, the mafic species was in the, you know, the San Luis Obispo area. They just got so many rad soils up there, and serpentine-based soils and just funky stuff and just uncovering. And I, I ride bikes a lot, too, so when I go in and do zones, I'm covering all this ground on a bike, which is so much faster than on foot. And, um, well, some would say it's not faster because I'm stopping all the time to check shit <laughs> I was going to ask, like, how are you seeing that um, at 30 miles an hour? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a lot of times it's on the, on the climb. Mm. You're just scanning. I'm always, like, scanning. And if you're riding the right time of year, you know, it's like these little flashes of color. I'll just slam on the brakes and stop and see what I'm looking at. But there in slows, like I got to see so much stuff so fast because I was covering so much ground and just hunting for little dots on maps and going to the new areas where I knew habitats and soils were similar to where people had documented species and, um, you know, super, super interesting way to explore, you know, a new area to you, you know, it was like through plants. Um, but yeah, the mafic stuff there was just is rad, you know, and so, so much, much cool stuff in such a small little area when you do start finding it. That area is crazy. I was there on Saturday? No, Friday during that storm. But um, I went out with a friend, my friend Paul, and we saw the two spine flowers back there in like full bloom. Oh, sweet. Yeah, Corzanthi Brewery and then the. Irish Hills spine flower, which I think is Agapantha yeah, nice. or Agantha or something like that. Um, it was so, Did you get it up by the mine? Uh, we, I don't know about the mine, but um, we were along that creek there and it was, you know, dumping rain. It wasn't dumping rain, but it had just finished. And it was just like seeing a waterfall come over a serpentine cliffside. I was like, this is so wrong. <laughs> like, this never happens. Yeah. This is so <laughs> weird. But yeah, it was just so cool. Like they all take on this different color when it's wet, um, the soils. They're like you can smell oh, wet serpentine. Totally. You don't have to worry about yeah, the dust but... giving you lung cancer. <laughs> Just don't drink the water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool zone. That's a really cool zone. That spot there where the creek is coming out through the Irish Hills, there's actually one year there were uh, there's a mountain lion den just upstream from that waterfall. Really? And there was a mega bloom of Calicordis abispoensis, you know, the the slow star tulip. Yep. I think they call it whatever it is, um, whatever the common name is. And then you had the spine flowers going off and steelhead running up the creek. No and shit. It was just like this. Oh, yeah. It was like a culmination of my life's work in one little <laughs> spot, you know, all being rewarded, um, you know, and just getting to see all that stuff. And, you know, one day's visit to such a cool little place. Yeah. And, you know, it's maybe a 10 minute walk from the from the parking lot to get back up that canyon. It's not too far. So I know it's crazy that that much like steelhead rare blades there you know there's like a shopping center at the bottom of it and then all of a sudden you turn this corner and you're just like yeah old old time like holy shit like untouched natural california yeah 
Um, yeah, that's really cool. I sometimes get like kind of almost it's bittersweet to see such nice places because I'm like, well, the whole world used to look like this, <laughs> you know, in its own yeah. way. I'm like, I don't, I always yeah. wonder like, am I, su- I mean, I'm very appreciative regardless, but I'm like, am I more appreciative? Cause there's, you know, a mega store 300 yards down the trail and this wasn't turned into that. Like this would be perfect place for a Walmart. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's tricky knowing too much sometimes, yeah. you know, it kind of like, it muddies the waters a little bit, you know, when you see such cool stuff and you're so in such close proximity to the, you know, the things that are such a huge threat to it, you know, it does, it does, it does kind of get a fire under your ass to make sure that you're, you know, not only that you're aware of that, but that you make sure that others are aware of that too, you know? So there is a, there is a benefit to knowing all this, this dark and depressing stuff, but (laughs) (laughs) totally, you know, but yeah, it is, and I don't know, and exposing it to people that aren't really aware of it yet, you know? So like through things like I was telling you, like mountain biking, I take people out into these places that they might be going out just to ride a bike. But if somebody's there, they're going to be like, Hey dude, stop, check this out. Look at this super rare, you know, calicordis or spine flower. This only occurs here on this little spot. You know, if they can learn and I've seen it happen, it's like this little twinkle in their eye, this like little spark of oh, interest. Oh, you caught it. Like, what? You got the bug? Like, oh, really? Yeah. Like, oh, that's interesting. You know, and then they start asking questions later on and then they've kind of like, you know, they get the bug to a certain degree and just knowing enough or a little snippet of information like that for people, I think, um, does a lot in the grand scheme of things, you know, like now there's more of a reason to protect it than just some selfish, you know, desire to go get an adrenaline rush, you know, now there's like a reason for that land to stay the way it is, you know? So yeah. that's kind of like, you know, using fun as, as a, as a tool for education, you know, is kind of like try to do that as much as I can, you know, almost to a fault sometimes, but <laughs> I don't know if there is but a it fault. is cool. I know. I was yeah, trying not to... really. I don't. Yeah. I was trying to get my parents super stoked on it. I'm like, this is why I moved across the country. Like, this is why I was a weird kid coming back covered in mud. And um, (laughs) I was dragging them out in Red Rock Canyon out in the Mojave Desert looking for Calicordus striatus. And it was during, like, a bone dry year. And uh, I was like, no, it's a quick walk. It's a quick walk. I had, like, a waypoint or something. And we go, and, you know, there's absolutely nothing. There's, like, a single empty seed head from the year before, I think. Um, no, they either geez. weren't up at the burrows to just munch them through, but they're just like, really? And I was like, yeah, it was part of it. I don't know. Like you win, it makes the, you know, the wind so much sweeter when you actually do find it. Oh yeah. You got to get skunked. That's like a big, <laughs> I've never that's been important. That's, oh, you've never been skunked. You always get something. Oh, I thought you meant physically actually sprayed by a skunk. Oh no. Skunked is in like going out to find something and you, you get shut down. You know, you don't find oh, it. Oh yeah. No, constantly. I haven't yeah. seen, I didn't see giant stream market for the first three years I was in the West <laughs> and all of a sudden now it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy how that works. Yeah. It's the same for me for, you know, I mean, for Laguna Beach Dudley, I was always looking in places it wasn't mapped, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, just hoping that it would be somewhere new, you know, personally <laughs> that I'd get to find a new, a new location. But, um, that was, the, that was primarily my work for a while with that species was looking at spots where it wasn't to confirm that it wasn't there. Yeah. And then when I finally got to see it, you know, it's like all of a sudden you're, it's almost like you get more excited to go look in places where it hasn't been confirmed because yeah. you want to, now that you've seen it, it's like, you, 
like I was saying earlier, that, that search engine is now turned on. You can just easily recognize it. You know where to look. And, um, but yeah, not seeing it for three years of work looking wow. for it, you know, was kind of like, oh my God, this thing, you know, they must have it dialed. It's nowhere else. Yeah. But I'm, I'm still holding out. I think it's somewhere. It's got to be somewhere where people haven't found it. Weirder shit has happened. Oh yeah. Um, so, where you do you look in high quality sites, or are you looking in like maybe the peripheral edge of where it could be found? Like, are, when you're not finding it, are you at least in like a nice, you know, fern limestone wall thing, or are you like, you know, next to a Walmart, thinking that this old kind of cliff dwelling could have it? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, most of the work that I'm doing for the city. Um, it covers all of their open space. So there's a lot of good stuff in there. Okay. Um, tons of it. And obviously we look along the margins where there's, you know, where habitat's more disturbed or, um, where it's been messed up by fuel modification activities, things like that. And sometimes we do find cool stuff in there. Um, not the going to be but we are looking in spots where, you know, where the habitat constituents, all of them are there, you know, North facing, the right aspect, all this kind of stuff, exactly what we see when, you know, at its reference locations. Um, and we're always just, I'm always, you know, going through those with a super fine tooth comb because I, I just, I know the second your guard gets down, that thing's going to pop up. Yeah. <laughs> or if you don't look hard enough, somebody else is going to find it after you've looked and you're going to look like a total goon. You know, <laughs> that too, that's always a huge fear of like a professional botanist is like, not doing your job well enough and getting called out. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's super embarrassing. Luckily that has not ever happened to me yet. Knock on wood. Um, but yeah, we're always looking in good spots, we're looking in the right places. Um, but I know for sure I haven't covered all of them. You know, there's so much space out here and these, some of these habitats are so steep and, and from a safety per- perspective, kind of inaccessible mm-hmm. with the gear that we have, which is none, you know? <laughs> so it's like some of the stuff we do get up into is, is pretty precarious and I probably shouldn't be doing it. Um, you know, there's 200 foot cliffs out here or, you know, slopes that are steep enough and, you know, all held up by sandstone faces that if you do fall, like you're not stopping yeah. until you get to the bottom 300, 400 feet, you know? Jesus. So so there's stuff out there that hasn't been looked at, you know, and I know it's, I know it's places, it's more than the six locations that it's known from, you know, it's gotta be somewhere else, but you know, maybe, yeah, maybe we'll find it someday. Maybe not, but keeps the job interesting. Yeah. That's like kind of, I, I get it now as somebody whose frontal cortex or whatever finally fully developed a few years ago, like, we're, like watching <laughs> the wild thornberries and shit. And they're like talking about like, you know, they're so stoked to go on the hunt and maybe we'll find it. But if not, then we're still out there doing the thing. And as a kid, I was like, hell yeah. And as a adult, I'm like, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, that's the thing. Well, I mean, I work with people sometimes. We work alone a lot. In Laguna, I'm typically alone. But we'll get on some big sites out in areas where we need multiple people to cover it adequately. And we'll work in pairs or teams. And a lot of us are just so nerded out and stoked sometimes we'll just all stop at some vantage point or after we find something super exciting or new and just like look at each other and just be like oh man this is the best you know like i can't believe we get paid to do this I mean, yeah not that much but we get paid you know <laughs> this is 
Way better than getting paid more to do something you hate. Yeah, honestly, I know. I like I like having savings, but I also like not pulling my hair out for eight hours a day. Oh, totally. It's not worth having any amount of money for that kind of crap. Yeah, I can tell you from experience. I, as far as I understand it, I happened upon the 69th, which is sweet, population of Burdea filifolia out in Orange County. It was oh, nice. 2019. Um, uh, we had uh, at work we had a thing where like a U.S. Fish and Wildlife person came in and like just gave a talk on Brodea filifolia. And they're like, yeah, you know, it's got a couple of sites left down in SoCal, but like there's a couple thousand per. And I that's that that you know that little thing in your brain's like find it. You have to find it. Yeah. And I just saw like one Brodea, and it had those weird um, the staminodes. They have like notch staminodes. I think that's like their big thing. Um, yeah, that's. And I found good. one. I was like. No way, because it was, it's on an uh, access road that you can like hike on and stuff between um, where the literal housewives of uh, Orange County live, like oh, code of the yeah, the, the super swagged yeah. out like Orange County <laughs> yeah. mansion neighborhood, and then like you know you kind of hop over the fence, and then ten feet on the other side, it's like oh shit, like a new population of this rare plant I just found out about. Yeah, oh, see, that's killer. Yeah, it was super that's... cool. That's what we, we actually did uh, a ton of plant work on a giant swath of land just west of there by not much at all. And, and we found, a, we mapped a lot of the day out there. Sweet. Like tons of it on, on just nasty um, pasture land that had been grazed. Oh, yeah. They don't but care it, at all. It's crazy. No, it loves it. Yeah, it totally loves it. It's the weirdest thing. But yeah, just, just thousands and thousands of them. We're still like, we're still trying to figure out how to. I don't think we're ever going to figure it out. I don't think they should. Um, they're trying to figure out how to mitigate for impacting portions of those populations. And, and, you know, we're basically just saying, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't do anything to that yeah. or recover impacts to stuff like that. You got to leave that as is, but you know, but that is one of the depressing parts of doing botany work in many aspects is that, you know, you do see at the end of the day, like, you're looking for stuff because somebody's thinking about doing something to yeah. it often, you know? So, um, but yeah, and finding things and then doing a good job, you know, you sometimes prevent that, which is, which is the, the goal some of us have, obviously, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What, so yeah. Orange County, I think in terms of uh, like percentage in its full area, I think is one of the most preserved counties in California. Like the open space they have there is some of the highest per you know capita or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say yeah. I was just gonna. You know, it's like that's nuts. It's you know it's like the most densely populated like endless strip mall in some spots. But then it's like <laughs> you know like pound for pound it has the most open space out of any California county. Preserved yeah, open space, not physical open space, but you know. Yeah, we're. I think we're looking at like. I mean. I know I'm going to get this wrong. It's thousands and thousands and thousands of acres, but the OC park system, I think alone is, is between five and 7,000 wow. acres, you know, and, and we're not like a very big County either. We're pretty small, but what I always explain to people too, that aren't really familiar with, um, you know, environmental policy per se, is like the North half of our County was developed first, you know, prior to the early seventies. Um, and, in some cases, very far prior to the 1970s. In 1970s, the early 70s is when we got the California Environmental Quality Act, we got Endangered Species Act, we got a lot of federal and state level policy 
that you know mandated that impacts to certain species and things be mitigated for. And so in the early 1970s, all this booming development was still going on. But now if somebody wanted to impact, you know, 400 acres, you know, like the Irvine company, let's say, and they had a giant chunk of land of thousands and thousands of acres for that 400, 500 acre impact they wanted, they had to set aside sometimes one or two or three times that pursuant to these laws. And so in the 1970s and up to recent times, it's like every time somebody does something, they have to set aside something. Yeah. And so you'll see that in these more kind of like recently developed areas of Southern Orange County is like you have these big parks because of directly because of that environmental policy. It's like the Pacific pocket mouse, the coastal California net catcher, certain plants now, which unfortunately plants don't receive as much protection, direct protection as, as animals do. Um, but all of those resulted in all of these parks being here, you know, and thankfully things like the gnat catcher are kind of like an umbrella species. And because they require that coastal sage grub gets protected and maritime chaparral, that we have all of these rare and endemic plants that occur in the habitat as well. And so through some of the protections that are you know, warranted for that bird, we've now protected a lot of these plants. And so some of them have been listed since, you know, so it's kind of cool that we have those laws to protect that stuff and and give us some of this open space, you know. So, yeah, it's interesting. And then you go up north where everything was developed before 1970, and like you said, it's just nonstop concrete. Yeah. There's, oh my god, know, the temperature park, increases like 10 degrees once you get to Santa Ana. Uh, like Jesus. Yeah. No, it's horrible up there. <laughs> not not a fan. I mean, not a fan of anything in Southern California, really, when you look at it from a development perspective. Yeah. But, um, you know, at least there are some parks down here and some open space in the Santa Ana Mountains and things like that. So, Irvine's so okay. weird, too, because you'll be, like, it almost feels, like, fake. It's, like, a liminal space where it's just, like, the ultimate perfectly placed modern, you know, dream of the 90s city. And then you drive for five <laughs> more minutes, and then you're just surrounded by pastures. And you're like, wait, I thought I was, like, downtown what like that's that place is such a, a mind trip um oh god i forget the name of it but when i lived down there i signed up for a dispensary but it wasn't a dispensary it was technically a church and you weren't buying weed you were <laughs> taking part of the sacrament so you had to like sign this piece of paper to join this church it was like a strip mall it was next to a shell station um but it was like i'm like it was so weird because i'm like you're just trying this is a tax loophole for you guys like this is a legal industry you just don't want to pay taxes and call yourself a religion and then i I went home for a couple months came back they were completely gone like scrubbed from the internet (laughs) couldn't find any information about them but it was like it was the funniest thing like it was just welcome to california here's a weed church yeah i can't believe i didn't hear that one it might have been when i was up north a little bit i was up in the central coast for a while and some cool stuff happened down here while I was away. That might have been one of them. <laughs> I got you. What were you doing up on the Central Coast? Uh, I pre-tired for a little while. So I like yeah. uh, took a sabbatical from the job, um, went up there. I had owned a house down here. Actually, I had bought a house or a townhome at the trough of the recession. So made a bit of money when I sold it. I got totally lucky on that. And then um, just lived off of it for a couple of years and rode my bike around looking at plants, um, started a company with a friend, uh, just kind of tried to figure out something different in a new place. And 
I missed the work actually a lot. Yeah. So when they reached out to me back from down here saying they needed me back on board to do some work up in the San Joaquin Valley, actually, um, I kind of took it, did, did a lot of work with rad, rad plants and stuff up there. Uh, and then just gradually they, they sucked me back <laughs> down south. <laughs> Every couple of weeks. Well, a couple of miles south of there and then a couple of miles south. Yeah. But that's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it was nice to get up to a better, what I consider a better part of California and see what that's all about up there. And now I know that's that's probably somewhere I want to end up. Um, but I do love my job and the work down here. It is just, you know, it's crowded. It's yeah. It's very busy down here. But um but yeah, we do have we do have rad plants and wildlife still and open space, so it's not all that bad. You know, could be a lot worse. <laughs> I know. I would see like nine hundred two one zero as an actual address nearby. I was like, where the hell? Yeah. Like, so I was living out in the woods, and I saw everyone's like, oh man, you lived in Orange County, man. Like, how is that? Like, oh sweet, I lived in the cabin in the woods. They're like, wait, you did what? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I found the one. <laughs> yeah, Chirico Canyon's awesome. You mentioned you lived back there, but that's a that's I've got a lot of fun, fond memories from back there, just exploring back in that canyon before it burned too. Um, oh yeah, was that twenty nineteen? Twenty yes, or maybe yeah, twenty nineteen I believe. Was that guy? There. He was a sovereign citizen, and he burned it down to start yeah. the revolution. And yeah, yeah, some he didn't. crazy shit like that. Yeah, <laughs> I had hiked Santiago to the top um, two weeks before the fire. It was oh, like really? my like part because I was going to go home for like the fall. And so like my parting hike was that. And then like the, I like, you know, a couple days after I get home, I'm just watching like San Diego Peak is on fire and spreading. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I wanted to get up there so yeah, bad after that year, though. All the fire followers. I never got up there. Oh, yeah. Did you get the um, the Agora Hills Dudleya, the Samosa Agorances? There's a little um, little island population up there near the no. top of Majesca Peak. It's really cool. It's just all by itself on a, looks to me like a mafic outcropping, something funky up there. Um, but there's just, just hundreds of them in this little small area. That's pretty sweet. That's so, I'm sure it's under snow right now. Is there still snow up there? Yeah, there is. It's all holding on the roads. There's big drifts. Some people I know went up and skied off the backside <laughs> oh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. That is wild. <laughs> pretty interesting year. Um, yes, I got to preface that people that don't know that one. Stuff. It's like just prominence just coming up out of like the plain. I mean, it's connected to the Santa Anas, but they're not that tall of a range. And you just get this one that's just like Mount Doom, but in, in a good way in the middle of Orange County. Yeah, just stands up at the east end of the county there. Um, it is the literal border between Orange County and Riverside County, but it it does because it is almost 6,000 feet tall. I think it's 5680 or something like that. Um, you know, it creates this stark, uh, rain shadow on the east side and then kind of holds storms and moisture on the west side. So we do have like this little micro habitat here in Orange County because of that coastal range, um, produces a lot of cool little zones for plants and animals and, um, makes it very different here in terms of temperature and precipitation regime than just 10 miles to the east if you're on yeah. the other side of those mountains. So it's pretty it's pretty cool. And we work on both sides. So it's like we see so much different stuff um, between those different regions, you know. And then you go north and you've got more mountains and 
different little microhabitats up there and you go south and then you're more into like Baja style stuff, you know? So it's, it's pretty cool from an hour's, you know, an hour's drive from here in either any which direction. It's like you can get into so many different plants and animals. So it's kind of a, it's a cool, it's a, you know, it's a little biodiversity hotspot, literally. Yeah. But those mountains, those mountains are one of the little feeders of that. So it's, it's cool. Have you been to, I talked to, uh, my friend Annalise on an episode a couple weeks ago. Uh, have you been to Cook's Corner down Tribuco Canyon? Oh, yeah, many <laughs> times. <laughs> I'm gonna Cheap actually. I'm gonna make there. that like the official restaurant of this podcast for Spaghetti Wednesdays. Nice. Uh, oh yeah, Spaghetti Wednesdays, and I, I mean, dude, it used to be like an eight dollar pitcher. Oh yeah, and like like a big pitcher, not like the little pitcher. Like I don't even know how where they got these things. It's like two gallons. They're huge. I think they're 11 bucks now, but it's still total steel, Yeah, you know? Um, and then you got like the ACDC cover bands. Yeah, I've seen them. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I'm sure there's 900 awesome. that come through. That's probably like the staple of the ACDC cover band tour. Yeah, the, yeah. The DCAC or something like that. <laughs> yeah. They sell six packs of cigarettes from behind the bar for like insanely low prices. It's like, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a scene, man. That's definitely a scene. And you get like every wannabe biker gang cruising through there on the weekends and like all all, all lining up their bikes and polishing mufflers and drinking beer and yeah. waxing their beards and stuff. Yeah. It's just so funny. Like it's every plant person I've talked to or known from down there, they're like, yeah, I love cooks. And it's just like, you know, he's like, little dudes a lot of the times like still have a high vis on or like me and my crew will go out and we'll like put on our quote-unquote nice clothes which just aren't things with obvious dirt stains and then you just you know the literal <laughs> hell's angels walk in You're like oh shit where am i yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's a funny spot but yeah it's the gateway to the san Anas right there yeah. you know that's how you get into that range either you know there's so many different canyons to poke into and that's that's how you get to all of them so it's kind of the only place to eat other than the Silverado Canyon general store or something way back. Yeah. There, but, um, what's but the yeah, other one there? Rose Cantina. That's the Canyon. Oh, They're yeah, two down, right? Margaritas and burritos. Yeah. yeah. It's to the South. And that's actually at the end of that road is one of the preserves that we manage. Oh, cool. Oh, um, with the, for, the Creek crossing there. Uh, feed into that. Yeah. You, um, you just go up past Rose Canyon Cantina all the way up toward the top. And then on the north side of the road there, the northwest side is is kind of the limit of the of the preserve. And it goes all the way along the foothills for a while. And they've got two in that zone. And then another two or three to go all the way up towards Silverado Canyon. Um, but all sorts of rad plants in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, all the all the calicordas we get near like the Catalina and, and the Ugh, Intermedia. That's my favorite of all time. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, I'm hoping those go off this year. It's been pretty bad for them the last couple of years. It's so weird trying to figure out what kind of precipitation regime. Because they don't like, like too much I either, just, too, because the grass drowns them out. It's so, they're yeah, so picky. Not too much. And like the timing is, I don't know, we were all like, we were all arguing about it at work the other day. Like <laughs> we all have different ideas about what each species wants and needs. And But the Catalina has been, I mean, super lackluster the last six, seven years. Really? Uh, maybe... Eight years ago, we had a huge bloom, and they came up so early and just so aggressively. But yeah, I think the timing of the rain just to get them to come up before the grasses choke them out, you know. So um, I don't know. That was my argument, at least. But some of my other coworkers have different ideas. 
So who knows? But it's cool to think we know what we're talking about. <laughs> now they're going to change their phonology now just because we mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> you fish too, right? You're pretty big into fishing. Yeah, yeah, I love I love fishing. Actually, it was um, fishing and mountain biking with my dad that got me into all this stuff initially. It was just being outside in really cool places, you know, chasing. If you're looking for trout anywhere, you know, I particularly go for native species. There's a lot of non-native garbage out there um, <laughs> that that whole industry convinces you to go after, which is ridiculous. But um yeah, just like native native fish in general, um, when you go to the places where native fish are, you know, these are like healthy, you know, relatively pristine habitats. Yeah. Especially in comparison, comparison to like somewhere like the general scheme of Southern California where there's just so much stuff everywhere. Like there's no way that a native salmonid survives in a habitat that's been as impacted as somewhere like, you know, Southern California where it can't live in one of those little parks like we've set aside in yeah. Orange County. It, it can't live, you know, the water's too warm. There's too much nutrient runoff, um, you know, things like that. So when you get up into places where these fish are, you know, they're, they're very awesome habitats. Like you, you see a lot of just very healthy, um, not only coniferous forests, but like chaparral, like in the Santa Ana's, we have native fish left over. They're way up in there. You know, they're all the relic from the last time we had steelhead running up our you know, our coast from the beaches here. Um, and they've just been stuck up there since we've dammed and, you know, channelized all the watersheds out to the sea, but they're still there, you know, their remnant populations just hanging on and little four to six inch, beautiful rainbow trout. Um, and when you get up to where they are, you know, it's like, this is a perennial stream. It's got to have water year round. It's got to be cool. It's got to be shaded. So you have these awesome canyons that they're living in with like, relic pacific madrone and you know huge yeah. big cone dug firs and like takati cypress up at the headwaters and um just awesome habitats so like when you get exposed to that stuff you kind of even as a kid when you don't know what you're seeing you just recognize that it's you know different and special you know just you, you can feel it and so you start learning about it as an adult you know through biology undergrad or whatever then like you start recognizing the value even more so you know so it's like if you're fishing and learning about fish like you eventually start noticing plants yeah you know, you're like you're traipsing and bushwhacking through all sorts of different habitats and seeing flowers you're out there when things are blooming like you just get exposed to stuff um you know so so yeah fishing is fishing and mountain biking just allowed me to see so many different things um and just develop a respect for them over time that it eventually led me to, you know, seek education and, you know, in this vein and then a career afterwards, you know? So, um, yeah. So I think, I thank my pops for that. <laughs> <laughs> Taking me out on bike rides and fishing. Seeing yeah. All this cool stuff. Definitely I'll be honest. Kind of set me on that trajectory. I still haven't used my rod since I was picking uh, your no, brain. Not yet. No, because yeah. every single goddamned weekend since Christmas or so, it has just flooded, stormed, trees down, powers out, don't go in the woods, yeah. you'll die. Like, every time I'm like, all right, like, I figured out this knot, let's go catch a fish. It's like, no, actually, the river's at, like, 27 feet right now, and flood stage is 18. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool, well, never mind. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. I mean, 
Yeah, in the long run, it's going to be so good. I mean, so many aquifers are going to be recharged and springs. and There's they're going springs to coming out of people's ears here now. Over. Everywhere. It's Here in Laguna, it's like there's little like cryptic waterfalls all over yeah. these canyons that, you know, that have been bone dry for, you know, since I've been hiking them for 12 years as an ecologist. Um, and there's just, yeah, there's water coming out everywhere. So the fish are going to be benefiting from that for years, you know, for the next several years. And so not a great winter to start fishing, but it will be cool <laughs> for time. the next few years. Yeah. yeah. You'll get to see some relatively healthier watersheds than they have been for the last decade or so. So do fish really just get blasted out during a bad flood and like them's the breaks, they got to find their way back up? Uh, you know, they're so good at finding refuge. Yeah. You'll, you'll be surprised what they can chill out in. They'll find a spot behind a boulder and just sit there with like little to no current when it's like, you know, 30,000 CFS over their heads. And then at the same time, the ones coming from the ocean, you know, up by you, steelhead and the salmon, they're, you know, all that water punching out to sea, you know, they're using to get upstream. So yeah. not only does that, that plume of all that, whatever they're, you know, some people hypothesize it's the chemical and, you know, biochemical basically um, composition of a watershed that they use out of the ocean to recognize their natal stream. So yeah. when that plume punches out into sea with all that, you know, bio material and chemicals and compounds coming from their natal watershed, they'll follow that eventually getting to the stream they came from. And, and then they'll use that high flow to get up spots where they normally can't, like they need that surge to get upstream. So it will be cool this year. I think hopefully, I mean, you know, it's like a, there's always a delay in biological events. So it's like a good winter. Usually takes a couple of years to see like, you know, a return on that investment. So it's like the fish will recover after a couple of years, you know, all the spring growth is going to feed more rabbits. So we're going to have, you know, the predators population is going to react to that in another year or two. So we'll see a boom and all sorts of stuff. I think in the next couple of years, fish, plants, animals, all sorts of cool things. So I'm just hoping it's not a boom for a fire year because I feel like every time it rains really well, like the end of summer, all that flash yeah. fuel just goes up. Like last year, besides that one, there was, oh God, I don't even remember where it was. There's was one big bad fire in California, but like other than that, it was pretty tame. All things, you know, compared to the mega fires we've had for the last 22 years, like it's been, I was yeah, kind which, of relieved. We just had all that early season moisture come in this year, you know, like, I yeah. Think, Early October, we got our first dousing. Yeah, got like an inch up here. It was incredible. Yeah, and so that just that turned off our fire season pretty quickly. Yeah. And then the mountains were getting monsoonal moisture like all summer. So like the nothing was high and dry this past year. But but shit, yeah. I mean, these years were like I can already tell on the trails that I'm walking to monitor stuff on some of my job sites. It's like the last two weeks, the trails are disappearing because there's so much growth in the scrub yeah. and in the chaparral. And that's all fuel, you know, so, and some of these spots are way overdue for burning. So that's just adding, you know, more and more fuel to these potential like hot spots for fire. So we'll see. I mean, if we get another good kind of wet and cool summer, maybe we can hold off for a bit, but yeah, that growth is going to, you know, it's going to be out there for a while. now. Yeah. Stuff, stuff is dense. <laughs> it's really dense. <laughs> Now, every time there's a year like this, I mean, I've had two really good years, 
three really bad years. One we one year was weird, but I'll call it a bad year. Like it's just every time it rains really well and it's like a good even rainy season and it stays around for a long time. I'm like, this is it. Climate change. Fuck that. We did it. We're out. Yeah. We're going to be fine. <laughs> and it's like, no, this is the last rain you'll see for the next two and a half years. Oh, all right. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. Or more. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, yeah, it's been bad. I mean, yeah, we see, like I said, we see a lot of, in the things that we monitor over the course of the last 10 years that I've been doing my, my job, it's like, we've noticed just this gradual decline in so many different species you know not not just plants you know it's like the riparian habitats certain birds depend on like when those don't have enough foliage at a certain time of the season they can't nest in there without getting raided by predators so it's like a lot of stuff has just been on this gradual decline since i started paying attention and you always hope for these big rains to kind of like knock that decline back up you know, on the, on the Y axis a bit. So it can like maybe start trending down again from a higher yeah. point or not, you know, at least for a little while. But, but yeah, it's like, unless we get successive winters like this, it's like that trend's going to just keep continuing. And you'll see too with fish, you know, it's like they need that water. And if you're, if you're watching fish or like fishing for a certain amount of time, it's like, you just see year after year, it's like they get harder to find, harder to catch. There's less of them that you see and, you know, so we'll see this yeah. year. Hopefully we have, you know, things that stick around for a bit and get water coming out of the mountains and the hills for, you know, to get us through to, uh, the next rainy season. That would be awesome. Yeah. They're calling next year <laughs> as an El Nino. So maybe we'll get the back to back punch. Oh, that would be killer. I mean, this is technically a La Nina this year. I know what I, is it still a La Nina if it's completely wrong? Like I know, they like yeah. the you know whatever the ocean temperature was the certain range it needs to be and there was an oscillation in fucking Thailand but it has rained nonstop <laughs> since Thanksgiving. Yeah, I don't know. I've I remember talking with a guy last year or the year before about and he does climate modeling um, and he's at Berkeley and he was talking about how some of these currents um, currents they've monitored for years and years and years are now like mixing and mingling and some of them across the equator, which has never ha happened before. And so he's like, dude, all of our models are just like breaking down. That's basically what he said, you know, to me is not understanding how models work in any way whatsoever. He's like, yeah, I mean, we're just losing our predictive power with these models. They're all just like lose, we're losing confidence. Like every time something weird happens, our models don't really understand why, <laughs> you know, and we don't either. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, who knows anymore? It's like, things are getting so, funky you know so yeah i don't know we're definitely not in a period of stasis right now yeah. with weather and climate and whatever so i read somewhere who knows that, though like, out of the four main modeling systems they use for california climate like three of them predict a drier future and then one's like it's gonna be wet baby like get ready yeah you know yeah. it's like okay well i hope it's that one yeah right yeah who knows yeah and then it's like dude is that to what extent is that good? You know, it's like too much rain. It's gnarly in California because of our soils and our runoff ability, our erosive potential of runoff here and stuff. So it's like, man, what do we get the 50 really inches want? in December and then that's it? Yeah. Oh, geez. That would be, yeah. <laughs> that would be insane. How many plants wouldn't, wouldn't like that? Yeah. You know, that's right. another thing. We're, that's another thing we're going to see with this year is with a lot of the clay soils that we monitor, like what's going to happen 
with so much water retention for so long this year, you know? Yeah, we were planting uh, manzanitas today, and it was on like a 300,000-year-old sand dune, but there was a layer of clay about eight inches down. And so it was like right about root level for these, you know, sandy soil adapted shrubs. And I was mm. like, this might actually be the one time where I'm like, oh, it's too wet to plant on this dune. Like, it's just going to sit <laughs> and there's, you know, water and rot. Like, this is crazy that I have to worry about this. Yeah, right. I know. Yeah, that's sometimes you, you aim for that, right? So it'll actually hold on the moisture for longer yeah. than than other places but yeah this year it's like man all those little clay lenses on our sites that we work on where we're doing restoration i think they're all swollen and just like just sheet flowing water under the surface like constantly past all yeah all those little roots that are stuck in them and yeah we have a whole um we have a, a whole restoration team that's done been working on you know like i said this like long period of fairly predictably dry winters and now all these projects that they've put in the ground now they're like oh shit like some of these are way too wet you know and but they were purposefully aiming for concaves and you know topographical features to like help feed water into certain plants and i'm like oh shit like we didn't we did not anticipate this you know so we'll see if some of the stuff is too wet in the months to come you know that doesn't hold or yeah i don't know it's interesting yeah i mean it's just like this whole profession is just like your best guess right yeah. i mean you're we'll always just like yeah what, what happens are we going to find it here who knows like let's go look and try cool man you want to wrap it up there yeah sure yeah do you have any thing you want people to keep an eye out for any black metal songs you recommend any papers you may have a name attached <laughs> to Man, I would so I'd recommend a lot of back metal songs if I knew how to pronounce them. <laughs> Seriously, I, don't even I, was, try. I was literally like yeah. in my head today on my way home from work. I was like running through pronunciations of like Norwegian or black metal names in case I like it yeah. came out. I'm like Taka, Taka. <laughs> yeah, one I've been like pretty hot on lately is Kalmankantaja. Something like that. Yeah, and then I'm like, ah, I, you know, I usually just listen to, like, ASCII more because I can pronounce that and recommend it to people <laughs> so much more easily. The other one, I have no freaking idea. I just have to start putting, like, K-A-L and Spotify. Yeah. And, yeah, then it just hops up. But, yeah, it's like, I think I got it right. But, yeah, that that shit's good, you know. That stuff, that stuff I'm, like, so amped writing reports in the off season, just, like, blasting black metal and writing about plants. It's, you know keeps the hype up black metal in orange yeah. county i gotta try i never listened when i was down there but that'd be the funniest like dichotomy like the cold winter sun and then you're just like yeah. Years. <laughs> yeah. yeah there's there's no scene down here that's for sure <laughs> yeah i'm kind of like uh i'm a lone wolf to in some regards but yeah you go to a show like uh, i'll go to some shows up in la occasionally and it's like people just it's not there's no like hub it's yeah. like people coming from x amount of distance in any which direction like all these weird weirdos like me just finding themselves at some tiny show in la but yeah it's definitely not a big scene here i don't even know i mean there really isn't any culture here but <laughs> uh, uh, i think maybe like raves and you know kind of like there was burger records until it turned out everybody was a creep yeah <laughs> and that imploded in a spectacular way <laughs> yeah there's quite a few creep closet creeps around here too hiding behind religion and things like that there's it's kind of that's like a a theme out here at least i've noticed it growing up but 
but yeah, we don't we don't have a big music scene. I'm definitely not um, not the norm, but yeah, black metal and botany is is a is a rad combo. Perfect. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. Give it a while though. It's gonna take a while for you to get used to it, but it's a when you piece. do, man, shit, it's hard. <laughs> cool, man. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank <laughs> you.